I love a good story, especially if it's a God story. He takes ordinary women like you and me and does extraordinary things when we say yes to him. Hi, I'm your host, Jody Caracosta, ministry leader at Somebody Cares America and International, author and traveler on this journey of faith. Hebrews 4.12 tells us the word of God is alive and active. That's what Natasha Miller, founder of the Haggai Project, lives and teaches. Natasha is an amazing woman who wears a lot of hats. She's a mother, an author, a speaker, a trainer, a ministry leader, a lawyer, and a wife, of course. But after getting her Juris Doctorate degree, she pursued law for a few years until the Lord sent her on a different direction. Welcome, Natasha. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. Natasha, looking at all the things that you have done makes me realize how much of a superwoman you really are. (laughs) What I didn't uh, say initially is that you also have a master in divinity. Clearly, you have a love of learning and you apply what you learn. Have you always been that way when you were a little girl? My father always said, education is the one thing people can't take away from you. Now, at that time, you know, we weren't saved. Mm -hmm. And so, of course... Now, I would say that it is the love of God and his spirit that has been deposited in us once we've received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, no one can take that away from you. And from that spirit, he will lead and guide and put a passion. And I would say it's actually truly after I got saved I think everything got righted in its right place. Everything was positioned in its right place. When I was going through school, I was more interested in getting 100s than the actual context of what I was learning. So like in high school, I just had 99s and 100s on my report card. And I felt I was achieving something because I had 99s and 100s, you know, and I was very active in in many different things. I never competed against others. I always competed against myself. I think that's what my parents instilled in me. They're like, be your best. And if you're not your best, then you're angry at yourself because you're not your best, but you're never really wondering or or looking at anybody um, else. And so I think that propelled me in walking in excellence, but it was after I got saved that I feel like the Lord really gave me the ability and the strength to do so many things. So tell us about your salvation experience. I mean, how did that happen? You didn't necessarily grow up in a Christian family. So when did Jesus introduce himself to you? When I first went to college, the first people I met were Christians. And I felt attracted to this girl, like, oh, you're, you know, I'm supposed to be your friend. And she invited me to um, dinner. And at the dinner, I guess everyone else was saved. Um, at the dinner, there was one guy, I guess, who wanted to be a pastor. And who knows, he may be a pastor right now. He had a passion for that. But he said, You know, his first, how how they, how would I say, how they introduced God to me was when you die, do you think you're going to heaven or hell? You know, like it was just kind of very uh, blunt and, uh, you know, I would say I didn't really understand where they were going and it was kind of unwelcomed. So, you know, I had that experience and I did go to church with her and I thought it was very odd. I remember she, you know, I'm at this church and the pastor is talking about how, the word is backing up the word. And I was like, this is brainwashing. This is brainwashing. Like, no, that's not how you do it. Like you, you have evidence. Where's the evidence? I say that all to say that when I actually got saved, you know, I had tangible interaction and encounter with God 
which was the evidence that I knew the word was truth. And, you know, ever since that time, it's been both for me, spirit and word. And I've seen that's where the power is at. You so know, what was God, that evidence? What, you know, what, what was that actual moment when you said, wow, this is real? The Lord led me, just a little backstory, I was working in DC and the Lord led me to this church um, through somebody who was employed uh, so this is after college. Working. So this is after college. Yeah, okay. yeah. I had my experience. I actually had another experience in college, which led me to later on. I, I I realized the Lord was showing me a taste of what I was to do in the future, which was soul checks. Okay. But before that, I was at college. Same girlfriend. It was like maybe a year later. She invited me to this worship concert at my college mm -hmm. and the people on stage were saying, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is here. And I'm like, these people are nuts. But then towards the end of the concert, all of a sudden I felt this love surround me and I couldn't stop crying. I had never experienced such love, such power, you know, touching me. Mm. And I felt so empty. Like I was truly missing something. Yeah. And I was just crying and, I was in her arms crying and some wonderful young man uh, gave me a jacket and wrapped me in a jacket and, you know, the concert was over and, you know, I'm still wiping away tears and we go to her dorm room and she opens her door and instead of giving me tissue or saying, Hey, tell me what's happening. She turned around, put her hands on her, her hips and was like, are you ready to receive Jesus as your Lord and savior? Oh, and I was kind of like quasi offended and kind of still in this shock of like crying a lot. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, look, I'm a good person. No sex, no, you know, this is in my head. Sure. You know, no sex, no drugs, no profanity. I don't lie. Da 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 peace out. And I left. <laughs> and it was later when I got saved, I actually found her and said, I know what you were trying to do now. Now, let me help you <laughs> in, uh, in trying to share the gospel because that was not effective. <laughs> yeah. Just sit me on your bed, talk with me. And I probably would have admitted what was going on. And she could have done, talked about the spirit. It was the spirit of the Lord that was drawing me nigh unto yeah. him. Yeah. Um, but praise the Lord for his mercy and grace that, you know, he gives us these experiences and, you know, I did have choices. I was basically, you know, in the secular word world, flipping the bird to all these people who were trying to share the gospel, you know, yeah. because I felt it was an ineffective and it didn't, it didn't touch me. Mm -hmm. But what the Lord did was through a person at my work. I asked her to lunch. I had had this encounter where I had um, dealt with my thyroid mm -hmm. and um, I was going to have surgery and they were going to cut me open, you know, cut my neck open. Yeah. Uh, at that time, they didn't have, um, it was basically a huge scar from end to end. And mm. then they were going to pull out my thyroid. And I was crying about that. And at that time I had a boyfriend who was long distance mm -hmm. and he was like, you know, I don't pray much, but my mom prays and she says, God will heal you. Will you agree to go get prayer? And I was actually coming to Houston for surgery. Oh, wow. So I go to Houston 
I end up not having surgery because I had no peace. Mm -hmm. I end up sneaking out of my house because my mom did not like my boyfriend. But I snuck, first time ever, I snuck out of my house and like to go get prayer because they said God would heal me. Yeah. And I was like, I was open to that. So I went, they prayed over me. I felt the spirit of God. Um, at that time, one of the women had a, a, a word of knowledge saying, did you know, like going to psychics is, um, you know, not of God. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I had no idea. Like I was brought up in a household where, you know, rarely, but you know, there was a, maybe about five, seven times my mom had done that. Mm -hmm. And while I was in college, I was questioning stuff. And so I did call one up, uh -huh. you know, um, there was nothing that came out of it, but you know, I did yeah. call one up. And yeah. so they had a word of knowledge. I repented of that, mm -hmm. but I still was not saved. I did say the sinner's prayer at that point, but I would say I gave authority for Jesus in my life, mm -hmm. but I had no cognitive understanding. Like yeah. it, it just did not become true truth yet. But when I went back um, to where I was living in DC, um, close to DC, this girl at my work, um, I felt like I was supposed to get to know her. And so I said, Hey, can we have lunch? And it took like weeks, but she finally said to have lunch. And at lunch, she spoke about past her pastors and they were giving her, they were going to bless their pastors with a trip and such. And I was like, that's really weird. I've never even heard about pastors. For me, I, I grew up Catholic. So all yeah. I knew about was priests, Yeah, but I had this unction. And that's why I think it, I always say it's so important to obey any unction of the Lord, be an obedient one and obey. Mm -hmm. I had the unction, get yourself to her church. And so I asked her and it, it's so fun because when I asked her, you know, she kind of looked at me strange, you know, I didn't have any concept of what was, was going on, but it was an all black church. And so she was like, mm. she's like, okay, well, <laughs> just to know, talk about, um, opposition as I was driving to that church, that church was an hour away from my home. It was like demons were on my car. I could not get to that church two times. She had to find me on the freeway and I had to follow her to the church. But that is where I got saved. Wow. And it was a, a tangible experience where the spirit of God came um, upon me. And I, it was instant deliverance. Something left me. The spirit of God filled me out. I got laid out on the ground and I didn't know this happened. Right. Cause I never experienced anything like this. Yeah. You weren't faking and it. <laughs> I know there was no way to fake it. Cause I didn't even know this existed. And I got up and, um, and, and praise the Lord, you know, I guess they were used to it. So the, all the ushers had surrounded me when I began shaking Yeah. and then something left me, something filled me up and they caught me and I got laid out. And from that moment, and my girlfriend who invited me to the church wasn't there. Wow. And I was like, oh my gosh. So she called me and I was like, hi. Yeah. Like, this is really interesting. <laughs> she's like, she's like, you got touched by God. <laughs> and I was like, well, okay. And I was like, what do I do next? I, I told her, I said, I think I need to get a Bible. Like, I think yeah. I need to get a Bible. And so she blessed me with my first official Bible. Uh huh. And I said, oh, what else should I do? And she's like, mm, I think you should do church membership class and go to the Bible study. 
Well, after that, I was I was at that church every day, and it was an hour there and an hour back. So I was driving an hour there, hour back, and I think it was only two days of the week when they didn't have something happening at the church. And you know that was that was the beginnings. And I had a it was during my church membership class. Well, first of all, I just have to acknowledge all the women of that church because after they saw me, you know, basically get delivered, all the women of that church come up to me. Hey, hey, honey, have you said the sinner's prayer? And so I said that thing like so many times <laughs> and I was doing it simply out of politeness. Yeah. And of course, and that's where I believe every time you say that, that you give authority over to the Lord, you know, because we, you may not be living, a, a, you know, you may not be totally in sync with him, but I constantly was giving authority over him. But it was that day, April 6th, was, which was actually yesterday. Yesterday oh, was my spiritual birthday. Wow. So April 6th, I was in my Sunday school class and she took me through the sinner's prayer. And all of a sudden I grabbed her. I said, oh my gosh, I understand. I said, Jesus was my lamb. Because I had always seen pictures of Jesus. And it was a picture of Jesus and there's a lion and a lamb. And in, in my head, I was like, I've dealt with lambs. And I, when I was a kid, you know, you went to a petting zoo and the lamb was stinky, was rough and hit me and I skinned my knee. So I did not have affinity with lambs. And so I was like, I never got it. I was like, oh, is Jesus supposed to be like cuddly or something? But I'm like, the lamb's not so cuddly. So I, I never understood that connection. That day I understood it because he was my sacrifice. He was the ultimate sacrifice. And then I received him. I was like, oh my gosh, he's my savior. And oh my gosh, from that day, he was my Lord. And the fire has never stopped. And so when you talk about education, I think it's truly that fire that came upon me, that listening to always to his spirit and being in obedience to his spirit, that I was able to have full confidence in diving into everything that he said for me to do because I knew he was with me and I'd been in the world so long and I was a, a, an achiever in the world, but there is something totally different when you're tied in an, in an agreement with God and, and you execute based on his spirit telling you what to do. Yeah. It, it's a whole different world. Oh, it is. And so, yeah. So were you, practicing as an attorney at that point? Or did you go to law school no, after that? No, Well, so that was really interesting for law school. I actually felt at that point, my calling was to preach and teach. Okay. So I would apply to law school and do diligence. Mm -hmm. And then I would say I didn't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> and I did that three times. And life led me by that time to San Antonio. And I was in church. Basically, the Spirit of the Lord told me that day. I had already declined the acceptance oh. to the third law school okay. and, and my scholarship. And the Lord told me that day, if you do not go, you will never go. Like this is the end. There's two forks in the road. Mm -hmm. And I knew he was calling me to go to law school. Okay. I had no desire to go, but that Monday I picked up the phone and I said, I'm sorry, there was a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> I made the mistake. <laughs> I didn't tell them that God told me I made the mistake, but yeah. you know, I was like, I made a mistake. I said, uh, is there a way for me to be reinstated? And they said, they said someone just declined and there's a seat open. You can take that seat. Wow. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. And I hung the phone up and then I thought to myself, well, I had a scholarship before. 
I'm gonna call and ask about that. Yeah. So I called up and I asked, I said, um, thank you so much, you know, and I was like, can I can I have my scholarship back? And they gave me my scholarship. Back. Wow, praise the Lord. He's restored. He restored so everything. He restored everything. I have to say though, my heart quasi still wasn't in it. Yeah. You know, I did have a, a time where one day I just laid out in my floor in my room and I put my head in my Bible. <laughs> I was like, Lord, I'm not taking my head, my face. It was my face planted in the word. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not taking my face out of this Bible until you speak to me and confirm, you know? And so, um, and I just started praying and then the Lord did answer and he gave me some earmarked things. And, um, then I knew I was supposed to be there and, uh, the Lord was good. I through the, just a, to circle back with the thyroid issue. So that was when I started, it was about law school is about two and a half years since I was prayed concerning my thyroid. Okay. So I never had the surgery and basically I, I was always thanking the Lord for my healing. And that healing first came emotionally because I realized that manifestation of what was happening with my thyroid, which was attacking my vocal cords and all my metabolism, you know, it, it was, a, it was an attack of the enemy, but first my emotions had to be healed. And then while I was in law school, it started expanding so big that I walked to my Dean. So first semester, we're about to go into finals the dean was like you don't need a doctor's note you go and you get that fixed because what happened is they thought it was cancer it was so big just sticking out hanging off my neck <laughs> i went i had these procedures done and basically my doctor got upset because it was always what i had prayed for i had a mass on my thyroid and what happened is it liquefied so what happened is why it was expanding is because that mass was liquefying and the blood was just kind of filling up this bag. Anyways, I had these three procedures. The last procedure, they put like, I don't know, it was between 13 and 18 needles in my neck to drain it. My whole neck was black and blue. And then we go to him and he's angry because he doesn't know what happened. He was like, it just self-destructed. I don't know why. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was my prayer. That's what I would pray. Lord, thank you that my nodule would self-destruct and liquefy. And so it was an answer to prayer. But what he did is he took me cold turkey off my medicine that I had been on. Like you're basically, you know, your body's fully dependent on this thyroid medicine, which I had been on for seven years. So while I'm in law school, I go through all of this all these medical procedures, I have to wear a scarf around my neck because it was, it was so black and blue. And I take my finals and he takes me cold turkey off medicine that I'd been on for seven years. And all I had was God. So what I would do is I would jumpstart my body because, you know, the thyroid is basically deals with all your metabolism and your metabolism affects everything every function. And so I would jumpstart my body by waking up in the morning, basically rolling out of bed saying, God, you know, yes, I can do it. And, and I would go and there was this field and I would walk the field and pray until I felt that basically it was until the spirit of the Lord filled me so much that I could function in class. And then I would go home and I would sleep. And then 
I would have my alarm and, and, you know, but the Lord sustained, like I lived truly through, I, I, that's why I consider law school, like a spiritual boot camp because I basically learned, I mean, people like are on drugs, are on alcohol. They're like, they're going through law school, like all, all messed up. And I'm like, I didn't even have a chance to get messed up because <laughs> my body, I had to focus on God and just truly like functioning as a human. Yeah. But from there, the Lord just so, so blessed me. Like I got an, I was selected as an internship with a Senator from my state mm -hmm. to go back to DC and, and intern with him while in law school. So I got law school credit you know, which was very prestigious, you know, I, I was put on a, a law journal through, so through all this, where I was just merely surviving, the Lord was, but yet thriving. I was thriving through prayer and, and through being filled with the Holy spirit. And, and I didn't have capacity, but the Lord would tell me, this is what you're going to be called on tomorrow. These are the questions. Wow. And then he would tell me, leave the library right now. And you're going to meet these certain people and they're going to have the answer you need, like whether it's an outline or whatever. And I basically survived law school by walking in the spirit. Well, you really learned how to listen and obey immediately. For, immediately. For every, every aspect of your life. I mean, it was every, survival mode, right? Absolutely. And I think that that's, that was the, the best training ground to kind of walk out this life because after law school, uh, the Lord called me to go to seminary. So I, then I, I launched, I, I did do some internships, um, but you know, during law school, um, but you know, I felt like I was to launch a law practice, mm -hmm. um, on my own and that law practice put me through seminary and I went through seminary and then while in seminary, the Lord basically had me launch what became known as soul check, which we ended up doing um, internationally and it that was six years of my life. Tell us about Soul Check. Probably a lot of our listeners don't know what that was. So Soul Check was, it was bringing the body of Christ together in sacrificial worship. So I never got paid for those six years. Uh -huh. No one got paid. Everyone sewed in. What um, the Lord basically called is I would he would bring me to different places. It was supposed to be the full body of Christ, mm -hmm. all the international body of Christ. The second one, which, which was in Houston was at the Reliant arena. Okay. And that's where we had people, you know, worship teams singing in, in Arabic, in Vietnamese, in uh, Swahili. We had rap. I mean, it was basically the full body of Christ worshiping mm. how they creatively would worship in their lands. Well, God's a creative um, God. So he loves he all is. of it, doesn't he? He, he loves is. All he of it. is. And it was sacrificial. It was all night. And so with that, what the Lord showed me, it was um, setting a standard in the spirit mm -hmm. that no one had yet had created. Because unfortunately, when you get into the body of Christ, there are, there's a lot of compromise and there's yeah. a lot of compromise in ministry and, and division, sometime, and, division and, and sometimes it's all about the money. I was not about the money. I was about the Lord and executing for him. And it was actually at the Reliant Arena where um, I had never danced before. So I kind of was like, not a dancer. Uh -huh. <laughs> I put my hands you up in the Were air, you a swayer? You know? I, would sway? Sway. <laughs> I, I would sway. I would sway. I would sway. 
but it was, um, you know, we were, we entered into that last hour and all of a sudden the spirit of dance came upon me. <laughs> and, um, and then from that time on, I've been always free to dance. I basically, it was very interesting as the worship was released for that last hour, I led this Congo line in this arena. Uh-huh. And then the Lord said, go up the middle. And as I was leading this Congo line up the middle, I felt the assurance, like there was a, that the spirit of the Lord had, there There was a grace placed upon a sacrificial worship done in obedience to him that he had been ushered in to the city in, in such a way that the city would never be, cha- would forever be changed. Yeah. The Lord put me into a vision earlier and then I had, I understood that this bag of seed was shrewd and it was, it was innumerable. The amount of seen seeds that now had been sowed uh, by just the obedience, just that one act of obedience. So where else did you do these? Uh, So we did it um, also in, he called me to Seattle, Washington. mm -hmm. And then we went, we actually had it in the Maidenbauer in Bellevue. Um, a soul check. Okay. And then after that, the Lord called me to Guam. So what I saw, he took me from Houston, yeah. you know, it was first discovery green, then the arena, which fascinating enough that we we're, we're connected here in this. Yeah. But, so after that one at the Reliant arena, uh, the response, the location of the response changed from Dallas to actually the Reliant, Reliant. stadium. Yeah. And, and, and the, then, and the response the mo- was a prayer gathering just for everyone who gathering. doesn't know. It was a prayer gathering that drew people from across the nation to Reliance Stadium to pray for the nation and for repentance and revival. Yes. And then this was a fascinating thing. So I just volunteered for the response. And my volunteering thing was I was reading the Bible over seats. Okay. You know, we, we yeah. did all the word, the, the full Bible uh was read over the whole stadium. And so I had, you know, my little passage and I was just, you know, reading it in gusto. We, no one was really present. I'm just reading it over my little section. Uh-huh. And I didn't know there was a photographer. So the photographer took a picture of me and that was the front page of the response. Oh, wow. So it was fascinating because I was the leader of the nameless and faceless. Yeah. Because the Lord had made the soul check was nameless and faceless. So people only knew that I did it because like they interacted with me in some, in some capacity, but he took the person who was nameless and faceless, took her picture and put her at the, I was the, I was like, you're the face. I was, I was the face. (laughs) The face of the response. (laughs) And then I was like, oh Lord, why couldn't you have had a picture of me being so dainty or something? But I'm like all fire. My fist is up. I have my hand on the Bible and I'm like, and I'm like, oh Lord. But you know, anyways, from there, um, you know, we went to Bellevue and then to Guam. And so what I saw is that launching point from Houston, we went to the darkest which was arguably the dark, darkest place in mainland, mm-hmm. which was Seattle area. Okay. And then we went literally to the darkest place in all of the United States, which is Guam. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you look at their stats back then, I mean, it was suicide rate oh. was, I mean, it, it was absurd. Just, it, I mean, it was bad. Mm-hmm. And so I just believe in the spirit you know, the Lord had called me to create these standards of worship 
that called that was calling on the bridegroom because yeah. it was all worship. It wasn't talking about God in the third person, but it was calling to God in the first person. Yeah. And um, yeah, so since since that day, the Lord has shown me uh, a lot of what that was able to do in the atmosphere. Yeah. So what's have you, have you tracked what's happened in Guam? What are some of the things that have changed there? But I have not tracked, but I've seen all of the United States and without going into detail, because I think some of the stuff is controversial. Um, I believe that that was part of, um, you know, God is a God of strategy, right? And there has been a satanic hold in many different areas over the United States, well, over, I mean, over nations, basically. And um, I see that toppling happening. So that's kind of all I'll go into. And honestly, and and kind of part of my personality too, is I just obey, I do it, and then I go into the next thing. And it it may be something, you know, that I need to change. I don't do much follow-up. I just, you know, trust, trust. Yeah, I'm like, Lord, you call me to do this. I knock it out. Okay, what's next? And I don't really do follow up. Yeah. But I know at any point I could always call someone up, I guess, and ask some pertinent questions. I'm usually yeah. too busy, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> you are. You are. You are. I'm going woman. on the next thing. So I'm just like, hey. So now you are still practicing law, but you've started a new ministry called the Haggai Project. The Lord just kind of said, Soul Check is over. The season's over. And. Yeah. So no, actually what happened is the Lord said, yeah, basically after those six years, cause a soul check was called every year and a half. Cause I looked okay. back and I was like, Oh Lord, this is interesting. Every year and a half, you called a soul check over mm-hmm. six years. So there were four in total. And then after that, he gave me three years off. He said, you have three years off and I got married. And so oh. interesting enough, my uh-huh. husband, and he didn't know about soul. I mean, he, I guess I had asked him. It was really interesting. We didn't know each other, but he was offered the opportunity, you know, to sew in to soul check and he, he didn't. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he, he was no part. <laughs> he was no part involved. Okay. Well, if he had known and, you, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> but no part involved. But um, it was interesting enough that um, he asked me to marry him. The day of our engagement was five years to the day of the first soul check. Okay. Which I was like, Lord. Five is grace. And Mm. all of soul check was about was calling out to the bridegroom, Mm -hmm. basically creating such a standard of, of love and worship and true sacrifice, creating this altar of worship before the Lord, uh, which is to the bridegroom. And I was like, Oh Lord, you're just so amazing. You gave me my bridegroom five years to the date you know, of the first soul check. So he's so, so sweet that way, you know, so the, he is. the kindness and goodness <laughs> of the Lord just never ceases to amaze me. Yeah. He's, and, and he's in the details, which yeah. is, which is really nice. And so that's what, what literally happened was within those three years, I got married. Um, actually I, I, uh, yeah, well, there's a lot of stuff, but I got married and, um, it was in 2016. So I got married in uh, 2014. Okay. But in 2016, I had my first child. Mm-hmm. Then the Lord told me, write, write a book. And I wrote, I wrote the book. And then he said, January 1st, 2017, start praying 100 days, the word of God, live okay. on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I didn't even know what life was. So I was like, oh my goodness. So I had to figure it out. You know, the all the videos are up. Ever since 2017, I've prayed 100 days. Okay. Uh, a different theme concerning the word of God. 
So in, yeah. in January, you start in January. In January, I start okay. January first every year, and then I pray for 100 days. Okay. So that January it was really interesting. On the 90th day of my prayer, my husband texted me saying, "Hey, I just got called in my, you know, called into the boss's office. He said they're transferring me to Pennsylvania. We have to go." And I had total peace. I was like, "Okay, let's go." And we had 10 days. And so 10 days to move? 10 days with a little child who, of course, three days before we officially moved, started walking. Oh my gosh. So we had to pack our whole house. We put it in storage. We had four luggage, five boxes, and we were off. The 10th day happened to be the 100th day of the prayer. Wow. So I am praying my last prayer in the airport and we're gone. New life. In Pennsylvania, a lot of blessings started happening. We started getting double of things. We, I mean, it was it was pretty incredible what started happening. I was I was published in two magazines. I was nominated to America's National Prayer. Like there was a prayer committee. There was a lot of incredible things happening, and I just hid it in my heart, going, "Hmm, it's, this is interesting. Hmm, okay, Lord, I, I thank you for this." I just hid these things in my heart. And then in 2018, the summer of 2018, the Lord gave me understanding. I was mentoring somebody and she asked me to take her through the book of Haggai. As I was taking her through the book of Haggai, I saw the time, date, and stamp. That when you interpret Haggai correctly, and unfortunately, a lot of people use Haggai for tithes and offerings and to build a building. But that is not what Haggai is saying. And there's even the use of Haggai talking about the corporate church. But unfortunately, that is not the true position for what God is trying to say through Haggai. And I believe the only reason I know this is because I lived it. And then I was able to see it in there because there's a time, date, and stamp that three months, the people of God went from the prophet saying, you lack you lack, you lack. And the reason why you lack is because you have forgotten to build the temple of God. Post-Christ, who's the temple? It is us. What did God say the temple would be? A house of prayer. The reason why we as Christians lack, because I know a lot of people, I know people in ministry, I know intercessors, I know tons of people and there's lack in every aspect of their life. The reason why is because the message of God has not gone out, which is we are to build ourselves as a house of prayer by praying the word. And so what has happened is there's a timestamp in there from the time the people of God in Haggai started physically building to the time that God said, now from this time you will be blessed. It was three months. When you look at when I started to pray the word in 2017, literally it was the three month marker on the 90th day where my husband got called into his boss's office. And then it was the hundredth day, you know, we were, we were launched in so many different ways, right? I guess that is the true vision like of the Haggai project is to build individuals as houses of prayer because the bride that God is returning for is a house of prayer. 
because, and, and yes, people talk about this corporate house, but you can't be corporate unless it's individual. And that's why you see a lot of Christians weak. They can't stand. There's so many issues with Christians. Like they can't detect a lie coming through the airwaves between the truth because there's a lack of intimacy with the spirit of God. And that there's a lack of praying with the spirit, the word of God. So they have, they actually build themselves up with the best building material that exists, yeah. which is the word of God. Yeah. I used your book, Praying as Jesus Prayed, um, during devo my devotion times about a year and a half ago. And and I could tell it was written out of experience. You know, there's there's people who write out of knowledge, just head knowledge. But I could tell that you were writing out of experience, that you knew you. because you had experienced it. It was And it was very practical. I love that. I'm a rubber meets the road kind of gal. So share some of those principles. I mean, praying, becoming a house of prayer. Share some of the experiences that taught you those principles. The first thing, you know, even before with the healing, you know, God yeah. says he, he's the healer. That's his name. Yeah. And so merely just saying, God, you are a healer. I, re I received my healing and now I thank you for my healing. Yeah. I received my healing by mere gratitude, knowing that, thank you, Lord, I'm healed. Yeah. Because you're the healer and you healed me on the cross. So, you know, that's, of course, one, one example that I had already spoken about. You know, at one point we had a witch that was doing all these curses. She like killed a dead cat, put it under our bedroom window. She um, did some pretty wild stuff. And I actually met her because she was walking down the street with her grandson. And I knew, I knew she was from the old country. And this person was a, a witch. And, um, and the grandson started uh, manifesting, like going to like attack me. Wow. And so I think this was one of the interesting things that my husband and I were getting in our vehicle. And you know, when you do marriage counseling, there's never the question, well, what happens if you got a witch <laughs> on your tail? You know, the pastor never... doesn't cover that in premarital <laughs> counseling, yeah, does he? No. Yeah, no, 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 no. So I had to tell my husband, because I had, I had kept everything kind of like, I was just, you know, pleading the blood, going to certain scriptures concerning protection, yeah. you know, Psalms 91 is great. And I was anointing the house, you know, engaging the word of God and the truths of God and applying it in prayer. Yeah. But I hadn't necessarily told my husband because I didn't know, like, you know, how to, how to talk about that. Yeah. How do you talk about that? And then, you know, in addition to that, like I didn't, I wanted him to focus on his work and not have something else you know, rolling around in his head, yeah. you know, well, that day we had the discussion in the car <laughs> and he was like, he was like, well, babe, I knew something was going on. <laughs> he kind of like, he was like, I got some vibes too. And so anyways, we then of course began uh, praying mm -hmm. and again, it, it's praying the word. I can't say a sp particular scripture because I was all over the word yeah. in that particular situation. In the end, what had happened is she left a $20 bill on the driveway and she called a truce for whatever that means and whatever their world is. From that time forward, it was good. Like we didn't have to bother. And I don't know what happened to her because 
Um, I didn't know the house that she lived in. It's so odd to talk about witches, but you know, it, a lot of people don't think they exist, but yeah, the, the issue is, well, or, is they're that's why, or they're glorified. I mean, you've got, oh yeah, that's what I'm yeah, stuff on I was TV say, that are glorifying look, them. If you're a Christian and you're listening to this, and if you have any affinity ha- ha- to Harry Potter, repent and burn those books. Or the Good Witch, or 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 the Good Witch, or you know, if you expose yourselves, I in seminary, I I had done um, a presentation where I took my colleagues through uh, the sitcoms over the years. Yeah, yeah. You know, starting out very light. You know, it was Bewitch. There was this cute woman with a little twinkle of her nose. You know. And then it's just gone into deeper and deeper and darker and darker where you can't, I mean, that is evil. And yet, because people have become desensitized, they're like, well, that's a good show. And I'm like, what? Yeah. No. Adored it. And so that's a wickedness. that, that's a real issue. You know, that is a real issue. I mean, yeah. we've just dealt with this within a, a school where um, it was a Christian school at a, having a book fair. And mm-hmm. they had Harry Potter yeah. and they had all these demonic, like killer clown books and all this stuff. And there was a father who was so sad. A father like thought he had a treasure because he had the whole sequence of Harry Potter books oh, under gosh. his arm, you know, yeah. the whole, like, you know, I don't I, like, it seemed like a lot. I, I don't keep up with it, but it looked like at least 10 books or something. It was like very a large yeah. extended box. And I was talking with the head of the lower school at this point saying, this happened. This is a problem. And he's like, well, you know, a lot of Christians don't have a problem with that. And they do have a problem. And they just I, don't know I, about it. And I was like, yeah. And I said, well, a lot of Christians are immature and they're compromised. Yeah. I said in the old Testament, they killed witches. Yeah. <laughs> like God had them killed. Now we don't do that now, but that shows the seriousness of God's heart mm-hmm. towards a thing. I, I believe someone's going to be listening to this and they, for some reason they're compromised yeah and and let us all pray that there be found no compromise yeah. within us you, you know, know? When, when we got saved when i was young my whole family got saved like within a month of each other and oh, awesome. uh yeah i mean it was amazing um i was six you know we were growing in the lord we were being discipled and we were heard a teaching about witchcraft and you know the demonic and not not getting anywhere near it and, um, so our whole Bible study, we had, you know, a, a bonfire and we were all, you know, like they did in the book of Acts, they brought all of the witchcraft things and they threw it in a bonfire. So everybody was supposed to go through their house and find everything that was, you know, demonic, that would be unpleasing to the Lord, that would open the door yes. up for they satanic in your house. And my parents, we had lived in Europe for a while because my dad was in the air force and they had bought this big globe, this wooden, beautiful wooden globe that was a wine holder. And, but on the inside of the globe was the horoscope. And so, you know, they, it was a, it was a treasured possession in the house. And uh, as we were walking through there, we went through the house room by room and asked the Lord, is there anything in here, Lord, that is displeasing to you? Is there anything we need to get rid of? And we pulled books out and we, you know, things that my dad had gotten in Asia from, you know, dragons, wooden dragons and things that he had picked up when he was over there. But we got into the dining room and the Lord said, that globe's got to go. And I mean, my parents were like, that's a prized possession. But by this time we were so convicted that they took it outside 
And the neighbor lady came over and said, what are you doing with that globe? I love that globe. I'll buy it from you. And they were like, no, we're not going to no. let you have this in your house. Yes. So we took it out to the bonfire. And when we threw that globe on the bonfire, I mean, it was like a swirling tornado of fire came out of the fire up into heaven. And I mean, it was Ooh. like, I remember seeing it and thinking, wow, I want nothing to do with any of this ever in my life. And I have all, yes. I mean, I've traveled all over the world since then. I mean, God has taken me many, many places. And I always, whenever I buy something, I always check it out. I'm like, is there any kind of demonic symbol or saying or meaning? I'm not bringing it yes. into my house. Yeah. But it's so important because I think we can just think it's fun. You know, Christians, well, oh, that's fun. You know, it's a fun story. It's a fun movie. It's a fun show, but it opens your spirit up to demonic influence. It's easy to get rid of mm-hmm. through repentance yeah. and removal. Yeah. And I would say, and a, a lot of people also say, oh, I just plead the blood of Jesus over it. Yeah. And I'm like, no, you can't. Like, if something's demonic, you bind it, you remove it. Yeah. Like the whole object is removing. You just can't believe the blood of Jesus over something and think you'll be, th- you're still giving legal rights yeah. to, to it. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, yeah, anyways, there's a. There's a whole slew of there stuff. We've gone on. We've gone on several rabbit trails. Yes, here. we have. And you know, I could talk to you all day. I think we could have many, many conversations, and we probably need to wrap it up. But what are some of the practices that you've adopted in your life that have helped you stand firm in your faith? Through, I mean, you know, you've kind of talked about some of it, but just kind of pinpoint what what are some of those things that really have grounded you and helped you stand through the storms? The authenticity mm-hmm. with God. You know, being very raw mm-hmm. with him because you're in a relationship. Yeah. I already know that I'm in a, a relationship with a person. Yeah. And so because he's a person, you know, just like we would do to a loved ones, like I don't want to hurt his feelings. I want to understand his heart. I want to understand how he thinks. And because I have respect for him, and of course, I mean, he's the almighty, all-powerful God who who is perfect in all his ways. I want to operate like him. You know, people always talk about in the secular world, find a mentor, find a mentor. Well, he is the best mentor. I would say with that authenticity with God, with, um, I would say I, I really have a, a no compromise lifestyle. Like I'm just not, I'm just not into that. I will cut off something so quick if I find that it is in any way harming uh, my relationship with the Lord, hurting his heart. Um, if it's something that's not, you know, of him. And sometimes, you know, my friends, praise the Lord, they're, they're my friends. But it, it's hard for them because, you know, I'm like, hey, dude, you know, you can't be, you know, like you can't be doing this. <laughs> That's compromise, you yeah. know? <laughs> so they hear me talk about it a lot, but, um, I think that's, that's really the the way to go because if you live a no compromise lifestyle, then you don't have, you're not giving legal right to the enemy in that's any right. way. Yep. And then there's a clarity of spirit mm-hmm. because you're only talking with the Holy spirit. You don't have ancillary demonic spirits rolling around. And then when you're walking in the spirit and not in the flesh, that shifts everything. So that, and then, and I will couple that. I always talk about being an obedient one. And usually when I'm praying over people, I pray that they would be an obedient one. Yeah. Having an authentic relationship with God where I'm not compromised, 
then allows me to walk in a depth of obedience that a lot of people sometimes don't understand whoa, like what is she doing? Yeah. You know, or she's in too much or whatever, whatever. But what it is, is obedience and that faith and trust because that trust has been built over time. You know, it, it started in, in many different ways, but in particular doing soul checks, yeah. you know, it started like there, there has been a history with the Lord. You have developed where, a history of trust. A history of trust, yeah. a history of faith, a history of seeing his hand yeah. and a history of obeying him and then seeing his hand. You know, I think with that, it, it gives me a clarity and a clarity of purpose. Mm-hmm. And it also allows when I'm walking in obedience and unfortunately I might have to say something that I know is going to hit a person the wrong way. Yeah. It gives, again, me the peace and the joy to understand, okay, I know you're not going to understand this now, and you're probably going to hate my guts, but just wait. That's a seed sown. Yeah. And I know when that seed gets harvested, you're going to be grateful. And I've had so many people always. And I think it's uh, the spirit that you do it with. It's, you know, out of obedience. It's not out of, I'm going to yes. zing you. I'm going to zing no. you because I see no. you sinning. I'm going to zing no. you because you're Oh, no, no, no. You know, it's... No, no, no. And that's, that's a really good point. I'm glad you're saying that it's, it's from the spirit and, and it's not, it's from conversation and relationship with other people yeah. that you then you do the thing. I would say now, sometimes it can come out passionately yeah, because there's a fire and a passion, but, um, I would say the arbitrator of determining if it's out of love or not is God. Yeah. And it's not usually the receiver because I think I, what I found, even if you say something in the most sweetest way and you feed them chocolates and you give them a hundred dollars or something as you're feeding them, they still will be mad. Sure. But when you're sowing in love, it kind of prepares the ground for the seed to fall in. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree with that. If there's a listener who's interested in learning how to be a house, how to build a house of prayer in them. um, I know you do training. Uh, How, how could they connect with you about that? We have a website. It's called the Haggai Project.live. I uh, first want to highlight there's free resources. So we have there's a free mini book. It's called the Haggai Message, mm-hmm. which just basically in a very interactive way shares what's in Haggai and and those promises that are linked, basically thriving, being linked to building oneself as a house of prayer. Mm-hmm. And there's a timestamp in relationship to that. So, you know, we have those free resources um, and we also have a telegram channel where people could track as we pray the word of God. The online program is offered three times a year. It's seven weeks. It's uh, self-paced, but then there's a live Zoom calls with me as a group and community. We come together and I review stuff and we ask questions and we interact. And then after that, we then have 100 days of where we pray the word together. And we pray concerning family and the breakthroughs. It's pretty groundbreaking and it's always encouraging because the people will call me, text me, email me. Oh my gosh. Like it's true. <laughs> like one of, one of my friends was like, you know, I thought it was kind of gimmicky when you're like, you know, in 30 days of praying the word of God, you yeah. know, blah, blah, blah. And, it's, it's, and she's like, I saw it in the word, but I don't know. I felt it was kind of gimmicky. And then it happened to her. What happens is thriving is as a spiral. And so the Lord keeps taking a person through the different aspects Mm -hmm. of a person's life, you know, family, uh, 
business relationships, you know, familiar relationships, friend relationships, you know, like all these different um, aspects of our life, uh, finances, you know, everything. Because thriving is not merely finances. It's every aspect yeah. of one's life. Yeah. And what happens is that continually as you build yourself as a house of prayer, it, it just goes to higher and higher levels. I mean, for my husband and my, me personally, I mean, it is so many things have happened. It's incredible. So I, I think it's incredible to actually live it out Yeah. and to be constantly living it out. The Lord gave me an invention. And so we're going to bring that to market. And, um, and then the other night, my husband and I, we created two more inventions. So like, wow. it's like the Lord just been downloading, you know, inventions, business ideas, just the favor on our children. Yeah. You know, it, it's just, it's just all the thriving relationships, relationships having been restored and then relationships just going deeper into sweet places. God has created us to be blessed Amen. in order to be a blessing. So how many and people so think, can you have in a, uh, in one of your cohorts that you do three times a year? I love having about 12. I think okay. 12 is a great number yeah. because it's very personalized. Mm -hmm. Technically sky's the limit. I have found 12 is, is excellent. Yeah. So it does fill up fast. So but, listeners, um, if you're interested, check out the Haggai project.live. As we close, Natasha, I like to ask all of my guests, if there's a woman of the Bible whose story has inspired or encouraged or taught you something and how does her God story relate to your God story? Abigail. Abigail was married to a very wealthy man and David, who was being persecuted, you know, by Saul pursued to, to be killed. He and his men were basically, you know, hiding out, but they mm -hmm. were also based on their position, they were guarding the flock. And of course, because God was with David and his men, the flock began to increase. Yeah. As that flock increased, you know, and David was, and his men were kind of destitute, they did request, um, you know, a portion of the increase that they had been stewarding and Nabal refused. Yeah. In this, it's kind of an extrapolation, but if you think of God, David as God, you know, mm -hmm. who's protecting us, who's providing so much for his people. And Abigail and Nabal, you know, they're like the body of Christ. You have God doing all the stuff. And I, and I believe now the request of God is for his people to be built as houses of prayer. Mm -hmm. Like I, I really, I, I believe that is the next movement of the prayer movement. The last one was the 24 mm seven -hmm. houses of prayer, which are incredible and will continue. But now he is he is being very direct and he is saying that individually his believers need to be built as houses of prayer. So he is coming into the picture saying that, you know, Nabal representing ministries, ministry leaders, people of God who have influence or just of the household. My prayer is that they do not behave as Nabal that they do start teaching their people to pray the word because mm -hmm. it's unfortunate in most Sunday services and most churches, I, I don't see that they ever teach their people how to pray the word. If I've ever seen anybody pray at a church, I've been to various, I mean, there, there could, I'm sure there are churches that pray the word, yeah, but yeah, I've been to a few the majority, that do. Yeah. 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 But the, there's a majority that don't. Um, you know, I see that they pray like for needs. They'll say, anybody who has a need, come up. Yeah. But they don't preemptively, you know, they, 
They have music that goes with the theme of their sermon. They have slides and pictures that go with the theme of their sermon. You know, I, I really, my big encouragement is get a scripture that goes with the theme of your sermon and then demonstrate the praying of that word. If your sermon is on holiness and you pick the scripture, God calls us to be holy just as he is holy. Yeah. And then the demonstrating of that, which usually first would be repentance, to say, God, we come before you. We see in your word, you call us to be holy. You call us to be like you. And yet, Lord, our focus has not been first on you. And we have not been focused on emanating you. We repent in any way, whether known or unknown, that we have violated your heart concerning us to be holy as you are holy. And Lord, we ask for your grace and mercy to come upon us. We ask you to show us. We ask you, Lord God, to open us up so that we are willing and able to become what you have called us into. And Lord, in faith, we thank you. We thank you that we don't know how you're going to do it, but we thank you that we agree with you that we should be holy. And we thank you that you are going to do it. And then in that moment, when you talk to us, that Lord, we will respond in obedience. Yeah. And we love you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. So Abigail, when David came and asked that of Nabal, and Nabal at the time said, no, Abigail stepped in and said, oh, wait a minute, we need to respond. Yes. And so, you know, I demonstrated the praying the word because I think a lot of people have never heard someone pray the word. Yeah. And the second thing, yeah, when David asked Nabal for the request, he refused. And he actually... Is not he not merely refused, he was insulting to David. He went around and had a party. Now, what was interesting is Abigail heard because there was a servant who whispered it in her ear. Mm. I believe because he was having a, he had a party, I realized that that's where she was able to get all her ready-made supplies. Yeah. And she goes, and the first thing that she does to David is she intercedes. Yeah. On behalf of Nabal, saying, saying, be it as if I have done it, calling him Lord, you know, and began to basically intercede in this physical world for her whole household because David came to kill after he was insulted. And so with that, you know, I, I see myself, one, in my personal life, not taking the way of the fool like Nabal and saying, hey, nope, I'm, I'm going to build myself as a house of prayer. But also in that, also going to the Lord and interceding for his people and then listening and obeying to him and setting up structure for this to occur and being bold enough to call a spade a spade because right now the spade that needs to be called is Haggai is not for tithes and offerings and it's not for fundraising for building funds and you can extrapolate to the corporate but it's not talking corporate it is talking individually and individuals believers are being called to be built as houses of prayer and you do that by praying the word of god not out of your soul not out of your flesh because that's another problem is that the prayers that have been a lot of prayers that are admitted are very soulish or they're very fleshly and we need to get back to praying the word with the spirit where there's power and there's actually building. And then we walk in authority as depicted in Haggai when um, in the scenario where 
the Lord is blessing uh, Zerubbabel with a signet ring. It could be extrapolated that that's a, you know, having the signet ring is authority. And as we build ourselves as houses of prayer, we gain authority. And that authority is to bless other people and to bring the kingdom of God. <laughs> like it's all about blessing other people. Like we're supposed to thrive in order to bless other people. We, we, we do this not for our own blessing, but it just comes because God is just awesome. And he's a rewarder. You know, he's like, you obey me. I'm going to reward. It's not like the devil that says you obey me and then they're going to suffer. You know, eventually hell, he may, he may give out little, little tokens of, oh, 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 no, no, no. This is your reward. Like all this extravagance yeah. or something, something, but it's a, it's a, it's a ploy. Yeah. It's a ploy. It's a ploy, but with God, you obey him. Now it may not look like what the world thinks, but there are rewards both here on this world, world in this earth and in heaven, just by pureness of obedience to him. Yeah. It's, and, and, you know, it's so good that you said it's not, not necessarily what the world thinks, but, you know, God created us. And one of the things that I have learned and is deep in my heart is that God knows me better than I know myself. He knows yes. what brings me joy. He knows what brings you joy. And when he rewards you, it's bringing the wholeness of who he created us to be. And the world, their thought of joy is temporary, fleeting, leaves you empty. When yeah. God, when he brings you joy, it's fullness and wholeness and yeah. life. And it allows you to look yourself in the mirror Yeah, and go, you know what? I love the God in me and I love that I'm aligned with the God in me and thus i like who i have become and i'm growing into your whole perspective changes when that yes. you know god changes your whole perspective and gives you god gives you spiritual eyes to really see and understand and if you don't understand what we're talking about ask god to give you those spiritual eyes there's scripture yes. in it we'll have it in our show notes that you can <laughs> pray that god will give you spiritual eyes to see in a heart to understand his perspective. Amen. Amen. As we're talking, a couple of scriptures are rolling around in my mind. One of them is in Proverbs 4. It says, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Of course, this is the word of God. This is scripture. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find it and health to all their flesh. So that is an admonition to hold on to the word of God. It brings you life in every aspect as yes. Natasha has talked about, not just physical health, but financial health and relational health and every other kind of health when we cling to that word of God. And then in Matthew, um, and I kind of think that this is a little bit of uh, a word from the Lord for all of us, Matthew 26, 41, it's Jesus talking to the disciples where when they're in the garden to pray, it's he's telling them, he says, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And of course, the disciples at the time, they fell asleep. But God is saying, you watch and pray. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. But if you will pray, your flesh will have the strength too. And your spirit will be strong. And we'll have life. And we'll have health. We've covered so much ground. It has been a delight talking to you, Natasha. We could go on and on and on, I'm sure. For our listeners, check out the show notes. Um, for a link today to Natasha's books, her website, the scriptures that we referenced, and check out our podcast webpage at hergodstory.com for blogs and free resources and to find out where you can join us 
in supporting the Somebody Cares Widows and Orphan Fund, which was born out of the scripture, James 127, a religion that God our Father accepts and is pure and faultless is that you look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So we want to do all of those things. We invite you to join us. Uh, if you need prayer, feel free to call or text the Somebody Cares 24-7 prayer line, uh, and that's at 855-459-CARE, or you can email us at prayer at somebodycares.org, and we'll be delighted to pray for you. As we close, Natasha, would you just pray for everyone who listens to this podcast? Lord, we come before you, and we love you. Hmm. There is no one that we would rather be with Hmm. than you. Hearing from you, feeling you. I thank you, Lord God, for silence before you. And I pray, Lord God, that every single listener would be imbued with the ability to go before you and just be silent, to understand that their king has something to say and share, to show, and that there would be space in everyone's day for this. Mm-hmm. There would be time allocated just to come before the Lord in that holy silence. And then while in that holy silence, Lord God, I pray that everyone would be bathed with your spirit Mm -hmm. and then would be led to your word. And then Lord God, that they would be start bathing themselves in your word, full immersion, just like when you get into a bath and your skin begins to be wrinkled, that the full absorption of the word, that then all of a sudden we would become more pliable, more apt even, Lord God, if there's something that we need to cut away from our lives, that we would become more pliable in that bathing so that we can truly experience the fullness of you and be cleansed and be sanctified and move forward, Lord, in a no compromise lifestyle that is truly for you, not for ourselves, not for the things of the world, but truly for you. I pray that each one of us would be able to walk in the spirit, that we, Lord God, would be people that we understand and can discern when it's our flesh and when, Lord God, it is of the demonic. I thank you right now, Lord, that if there is anybody who has given any legal right to the demonic, Mm -hmm. that it would be shut off right now in the name of Jesus, that you would come to repentance and repentance not being a bad word, but something that allows you to be fully restored, that that cuts off the legal right of the enemy from your life because you confess what has been done and you turn your mind, you transform your mind, you decide to no longer engage, but you choose God and you choose the things of God and not what has been done. And I pray that in that time of choosing that such a distaste 
would come upon all of us for the things that are not of God, that we would truly have such a distaste, a repulsion, that we live an uncompromised life, that we are truly obedient ones. You say the word, Lord, we do it. Not because we are servants, but because we're friends, because we're lovers. Because, Lord God, we understand that it is all about you. Our life is all about you. And we choose you. I thank you, Lord, that we choose you. And I pray that everyone here would choose you in the mundane, in the making of the bed in the morning, choose God, walk in excellence, make your bed. In the operation at work or volunteering or in any sphere of influence within the community, that we choose you, Lord God, and we walk in excellence because we're reflecting you, mm -hmm. not for anything else, but you. And that whatever you call us to, Lord God, it, again, it's not about us. It's not about here. It's not about there. But it is about you. And I thank you, Lord, that that would be so deeply ingrained in our blood that our cells would cry out, Lord God, for you. That we would not be satisfied, Lord God, with our days if we have not done it as if before you, completely God conscious of you. Lord, I pray that everyone would have such a hunger for your spirit and for your word to interact with the spirit, to have the word of God become so alive that it, it's so tangible that they feel it entering into their body and transforming them as they take it into their soul, Lord. I thank you, Almighty Father. And I pray and I just thank you, Lord God, that everybody's soul and everybody's flesh would submit to the spirit of God, which is within them. Mm -hmm. And that we would be people that walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. I praise you for this, Lord. I glorify you for this, Lord. We love you, God. And we thank you that we will constantly and continually have encounter upon encounter with you. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Natasha. And thank you, dear listeners. Join us again for another episode of HerGodStory.com. Be blessed. Her God Story is a ministry of Somebody Cares America and International. To find out more about or support the ministry, go to somebodycares.org.